0: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for December 2019. Now if you're the sort of person who likes to listen to these podcasts early in the month, then if I say Happy Christmas, you probably think, oh really, there's three or four weeks to go before the big day. If, on the other hand, you're the sort of person who takes a while to get round to it, or you're going to be really busy in December, and so therefore it'll be almost Christmas itself before you get to listen to this, well, how appropriate is the comment j- that I've just made? Either way, if you're doing shows over December, I hope it all goes has gone or is going really, really well, and that you'll get some time to relax when it comes to Christmas Day and Boxing Day themselves. Now, this month, I want to start my... Um, Podcast by talking about conventions, and it's a subject that I've come across uh, and talked about on a number of occasions in the past. The way that the nature of magic conventions is changing. Now, there are certain things that never seem to change Blackpool Magic Convention, obviously, which is coming up soon, being one of them. The sheer size of the event and its long history mean that it is still very vibrant and attracting. Every year, it appears, ever greater visitor numbers. So take them out of the the equation, but virtually every other general convention, and we're talking about anything from British Ring conventions to one-day conventions that various clubs or societies put on, all of those have, over the, the last few years, found it difficult to get numbers and are struggling at times to run them at all. Um, This is a great pity because these conventions have always been, in many ways, the lifeblood of the local magic sort of scene, but not anymore, it seems. However, there is something that has replaced the general magic convention, and that is the more selective, the more focused uh, event. I I won't necessarily call it a convention because they're not all conventions. They are gatherings. They are people coming with like-minded interests coming together, for a day that concentrates on perhaps one area of magic or business or mentalism, whatever it is, it's much more focused. And I I think this is something that is is going to get increasingly prevalent because if you think about our general lives, we we like to have choice, don't we? We like to feel that, um, for instance, when you watch television, most people don't just look up the uh, the current TV listings and think, well, what shall I watch tonight? You tend to go for very specific channels, perhaps that showed, let's say, the History Channel, for example, where you think, well, I love history programmes. So you hone in on the History Channel. And there are, of course, lots of other, other channels have very specific, the Comedy Channel, because I like comedy. So I'm going to watch stuff on the Comedy Channel and so on. So it's It's very obvious that that magic is also going to be something that people want to polarise in terms of their interest. Why would you want to go to a a general magic convention and sit through lectures on say children's magic or stand-up or whatever it might be if you're a a hardcore close-up card magician? It really might not be of interest to you but if somebody puts on a day I don't know, say something like the Carl Fools Day, where it's all about the card magic of Carl Fools. If that's your thing and that's what you're interested in, well, that's absolutely what you want to go to, surely, if you can make it, because it centres on the thing that you're interested in. And and I felt this for quite some time. I've been putting on uh, sort of very specific types of days for quite some time, going back uh, over a decade. I had events such as image, the interactive magic event, I had the commercial close-up forum, I had a, a day called the Business Magician, the Academy Inner Circle Session. These were all not general events at all, but very specific on on, on a particular type of magic or a topic. And they all did very well. You're not trying to attract, attract large numbers necessarily. You're looking for a hardcore might only be ten or a dozen people. But these people are totally focused on the subject matter of the event. And to me, this is much more interesting, For I suspect, for a lot of people. I, I think they're going to be more interested in this, if they have a particular air of magic that they are interested in, than perhaps taking a punt and going to a general convention and hoping that one of the lecturers there or a bit of the magic will, will suit the uh, particular interest that you have. Uh, and... An example of this is, is coming up next year, actually, because uh, Magic Scene is sponsoring an event that's being organised by Jay fortune which features Jeff McBride and Larry Haas. And it's a two-day conference taking place in Blackpool on the 28th and the 29th of March next year, 10 in the morning till 6 in the evening. And it's called Shaman and Showman. And the first day is called The Healing Power of Magic. And the second conference is on The Meaning of Magic. So the first one, the healing the healing power of magic, that particular one is about how magic can be used in a medical context perhaps, so by doctors or others, other professionals, therapists, people who are looking to help people and use magic as a way of getting into the psyche of the people that they're dealing with, um, but also for magicians too who who are looking to to, and there have been a number of quite high profile examples where magicians have turned their skills to helping people in a medical context. So this, but the first of these conference days is going to be all about that, how to use magic to, to help patients. And the second one, the meaning of magic, well, how to give magic visual metaphors. Um, how to help with character development and presentation and scripting and and things like that. So and lots of magic routines that that are concrete examples of the points that are being made. Larry Hass and Jeff McBride are, are, are world renowned, of course, for their wonderful way of getting to the real nub of what makes great magic. And for them to come and do this this um, this two day conference at uh, in Blackpool in the UK is, is a wonderful thing. Um, if you if you're interested incidentally in more information than that go to the website j fortune that's j a y fortune forward slash shop and you can get information there there there's an early bird um, price reduction it's fifty five pounds for one day ninety nine for two if uh, if you want to go to both days Uh, if you register before the 31st of December. So it's worth going and having a look. And if you're fans of McBride and Larry Haas, then I would have thought that it's something that you want to go to simply for that reason alone. But this, I think, is a very good example of the way that um, specific type events can have very, um, very important meaning for people who are interested in those subjects. And if those subjects are interesting to you, then this is a perfect example. One of the busiest and hopefully most useful sections of eClub Pro, that's my online magic and information resource, is called the Advice Centre, in which each month I answer two questions that have been sent in to me by members from all around the world. And it's incredible the diversity of questions that have been asked over the years. And there are hundreds that you can read on, members can read, go back and read the answers to on, the, uh, on that particular section on eClub Pro. And I thought it might be interesting just to pick out one of those questions uh, as something to talk about now. And the question I decided on was that somebody wrote in and said, how many tricks did I think they should carry on them when they were doing strolling magic? And on the face of it, this is very simple, where you just take as many as you need. Oh, but hang on a minute, That that isn't a, really the answer, is it? Because there are a number of different things that you might want to take into consideration when deciding on what you're going to carry. If you're a strolling magician, I would make the assumption that you're going to carry everything on your person because... Obviously, you're not going to be working with it. Hopefully, you're not trying to work with a case or anything like that. I do occasionally take a small extra hold all bag, but often that is only as an emergency bag and I don't actually carry it physically around with me. Everything else is actually all the props are in my jacket. So that automatically sets A limit to what you can carry because you don't want to cram your pockets so full that you can't get stuff out easily or that you lose little gimmicks or props that you need and so that in a sense creates a ceiling perhaps for the number of tricks but it still doesn't give you a number so I think the next thing that you need to think about is okay well um, what type of strolling magic event am I going to if you're going to, let's say, a big reception event where well, you've got, say, 200 people in a sort of standing with drinks and canapes and you, you're mixing and mingling with them and entertaining them wherever they happen to be standing or sitting. Well, with that many people and the, and the uh, probably the amount of time that you've got available to you, you're going to be doing one, two tricks, absolute tops for any given group and then moving on. And because of the nature of the, the, of uh, a mix and mingle group, people will be moving around quite a bit. The groups will be breaking up and reforming. So there's a very fluid feel to it. So unlike a table, table event with tables where the tables are fixed and the people are sitting at those tables and they don't basically move, with this it's a fluid audience. And this means that you need very few tricks. I mean, I find that if I'm going to be doing some magic at a dinner and I'm going to be doing the tables, but I'm doing the mix and mingle first, I probably only perform two, maybe three tricks in total for the whole of the drinks reception. Because I can just keep repeating them. I can move around. There's plenty of people there. I need hardly any... I mean, I would take more than that, but I probably will only perform two or three. And I will also make sure that those two or three tricks I do not then perform at the tables. Because obviously when I go to the tables, I want to make sure that all the magic that I do for anybody comes up fresh. So you could say, well, in a large event where you've got a a relatively limited amount of time, you don't need that many tricks. On the other hand, if you're a strolling magician at a private party, perhaps in somebody's house, where they say, well, there'll be 20 to 30 people and they want you there for an hour and a half, Well, suddenly you think to yourself, well, actually, the chances are I may be entertaining some people in the lounge, for instance, and other people may come over and join them. And you suddenly find that nearly everyone at the party is actually watching you at some point. Well, in that case, if you're going to do your allotted time and the people won't feel that you shortchanged them, you're going to need more material. You're going to need more tricks in order to fill the allotted time because you won't be able to repeat. So you can see how how many tricks do I carry it starts to get a little bit more complex. My own feeling is that if you can have tricks that double up on props, so obviously a pack of cards, you can hopefully do several um, car, ordinary card tricks with that. I have tricks with coins and uh, with handkerchiefs that double up a blank deck of cards. I have two or three tricks with that. So you could, you've got more tricks for less props because of the fact that the props double up. That's very helpful. It enables you to actually be able to fall back on a a wider range of magic without having to stuff extra different props into your pockets also choosing tricks which have very few gimmicks or props that's also advisable the less props that any given trick needs the more tricks you can carry so these are some of the things to think about when you're trying to decide what to carry what type of event is it how often will you be able to repeat tricks do you think Uh, how many props are you, going to, are you going to have tricks that have a lot of props? Hopefully not, or just a few, and will some of the props double up? Once you get all those things, then you'll probably come out at a number that feels right when you put it into your jacket. For me, it's around a dozen to 15 different tricks that I can carry on me. That's less props than that, actually, and it means that my suit is not overcrowded, but I still have plenty for just about any event that I, uh, that I need to perform at. Back in 2006, I published a book called A Simple Guide to Creativity in which I put together what I hoped was, and I'm sure is, a very clear breakdown of what uh, is a trick is made up of and how you can twist and turn and create magic once you know the principles behind it all. Um, there have been lots of books on this in the past, of course. But mine was designed to be a simple guide to. In other words, I didn't want to um, confuse people with a lot of high-blown theory. Instead, I wanted to give practical examples and lay out the whole thing so that the process itself was accessible to anybody who had even a half a creative um, gene in their body. And uh, a lot of people I know have have had this book over the years, and, and, I, and I think it's still the, the comments that I made and the principles involved, um, they still hold very true today, as they did when I wrote it back in 2006. But I know what people say is they say, and although this is still a valuable incident, it's an e-book, but people say, oh, I haven't got time to read books. I, I don't read books anymore. I haven't got time for all of that. I'm too busy. Well, okay, that might be true, but it's a shame to miss out on the information that certain books can provide, particularly, I think, advice books. And so, with that in mind, I've released audio versions of several of my titles. And the latest one, which I'm releasing this, this particular month, is, guess what? A Simple Guide to Creativity. So, if you're a busy person, but you have, let's say, a drive to work every day, if you get the audiobook version of A Simple Guide to Creativity, you can play it in the car on the way to work. If you go running, you can put it on an MP3 player and listen to it when you're on your morning jog. If you're somebody who likes to sit and relax in your front room with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, again, you can listen to it while you're doing that. The book actually runs for an hour, just under an hour and a half, so you might not want to listen necessarily listen to it all in one go. But it's a really good way of assimilating information and... It's surprising when you listen to something, if you if you kind of shut your eyes and put headphones on and block out everything else and you just listen to the information and it makes pictures in your head. It's often more memorable, certainly for some people, than it is trying to read it on a screen because it's an e-book, trying to read it on a screen. So um, if you haven't had any of my um, audio books before, um, there are, apart from this one I'm now releasing, The Simple Guide to, to Creativity, Um, There are one or two others as well. The Table Magician, then there's um, Going Walkabout, and then there is The Trade Show Magic. These three books are also available as audiobook versions. So take a a little look at those, and um, they're a very good way, I think, to get important information that may help you with your magic. I reckon that uh, most magicians who are either amateur or semi-pros, will probably have a slightly scattergun approach to um, putting together a new act or getting new tricks for their act. I think that the fact of the matter is that tricks themselves don't pre-select themselves. Not as such, anyway. Because what tends to happen is I think sometimes... We, we see a, a new release or a new trick and we think, oh, that's exciting. And because it's new or new to us, then you, you, you want to find a place for it in your act. And that's not actually probably the best way to select new material, is it? Because it may not fit in with the other trick. You may have other tricks in your act already that are similar, perhaps, um, or in either presentational or method or plot. Um, Or it may be that uh, actually, in in terms of a theme, it doesn't really fit with some of the other tricks in your act. Way better, I suppose, is to determine what your act's theme actually is. Is it, for instance, based on a a strong performing personality that you have? It's great when a performer has a personality which defines the magic. Some of my favourite performers are people like that who have a very set personality, and and what they do is they then look for tricks which augment and enhance and fit with that performing personality. It's a really good way to go because if they they see a trick that uh, they like, but it's not really appropriate for their performing personality, I'm sure these people will say, I love this trick, but it's not going in my act. sometimes it must take quite a lot of self-restraint because there are some tricks oh, I would love to do this trick, but it doesn't really fit in with the theme. So um, I think if you're strong like that and you really want to keep your performing identity and have an act that is um, harmonious, then choosing tricks that only that fit into your particular style or your performing personality are really important. I mean, some people make it easier for themselves or easier for themselves by having a prop theme or a color theme um, and this can work too of course for instance some people have had let's just say when dvds and cds first came out you had acts that were incorporated nothing other basically than tricks using those particular objects cds and dvds it's a coin magic all coin effects Uh, and so on and so forth so um, that is one thing but having a performing personality as opposed to a theme of a a particular trick is um, is much more interesting because it means that you might be able to choose a lot of varied magic but it's magic that fits your performing style and that i think makes for a more varied and interesting act so if you're selecting material for your act have a think about who you are and what your magic is supposed to be about and then go and look and find and access magic that fits it rather than just buying the first new trick that comes along and trying to shoehorn it into your act. I have an acquaintance, a gentleman who's now in his 80s who I've known for many, many years who for as long as I can remember he has been running a theatrical agency and over the years he's given me... Sporadically, it's true, Bookings as a close-up magician. And he's a really nice guy and a very thoughtful man. And we've had many quite long and interesting conversations about being an agent and about show business in general. And of course, because he's been in the business for over 50 years, he's seen a huge number of changes. When he first came in into the business, it was very much um, at the centre of all top entertainment venues. Agents were required and put in acts into all the best places and and being an agent was a very lucrative profession to be in. In fact I suspect that sometimes it was the hard part was getting enough acts to fulfill all the bookings that were coming in rather than the other way around. But gradually over the years, particularly obviously since the internet has become so powerful, and acts themselves have sought increasingly to market themselves through their websites and through social media, then the power and the pull and the importance and relevance of agencies has gradually been in decline. And he bemoans that. He's come out of being a general agent now and he represents, he's gone more into management where he's representing specific bands rather than trying to be an agency that can provide all sorts of different types of entertainment to anybody who requires them. And although it's true to say that, that uh, big business, corporate, um, for corporate events, uh, some hotel sh- chains, they still rely on agents to provide the talent that they need for their events. A lot of the time, smaller events are not using agents anymore. But the trouble is that the um, the agents, in the, like the old-fashioned agents, the good ones, that is, would always vet the acts. They'd always make sure that they were honest, that what they said they could do, they did, and that they did it to a, a suitable standard, and that their, their act was right for the venue or the event that they were being put into. That's where agents really scored. They were able to talk honestly with a potential booker about the acts on their books and say well this guy not so much not quite what you want but i do have somebody else who will fit the bill exactly that's that sort of advice from somebody who actually knows the acts and who and as my friend does he used to go and watch the acts and and even with some that had been on his books for a while he would occasionally go and watch them to see what they were up to these days to make sure that he still understood where they were and what the standard that they were reaching but, of course, once people start to self-promote, everybody becomes wonderful, star-studded, the best thing since sliced bread. And when these online agencies come along, where potential bookers can just put their details in once to the online agency, and then all the acts are on the online agency's books, receive relevant information about um, about uh, shows that they might be interested in, and then put a pay to put a reply in then now you've got into a situation where these online agencies, they're not really providing any sort of vetting service at all. Anybody can go on and be registered with one of these online agencies. So from the booker's point of view, there is no guarantee of quality. And that seems a bit of a shame. So many things in life, of course, these days are hard to quantify. Um, You've got people like Checker Trade, where for the building trade... They say that they they check all the, all the people who are registered with them, that they have all the right insurances, they have the right skills, they can do what they say they will do, and so on and so forth, in an attempt to get round this idea that all builders are cowboys and to stop those that are from actually getting work. But it's not a fail-safe system, but magic doesn't appear to have that. We all self-promote, and therefore it's easy for us to say we're great when we may not be. So I think it's a shame for for the old style agents if they are finding it harder because they do still have a, a vital role to play, the good ones who actually know the acts. And it's like everything else in life. You can't always um, know or believe what you read online. But if somebody, a voice on the end of a phone, can tell you, hopefully, honestly, what an act is like because they've seen them, That, for a booker, surely must be uh, worth its weight in gold. The final topic for this podcast kind of uh, follows on slightly, in a way, from the previous thing that I've just been talking about. And, in fact, um, the information that I'm going to be talking about now is based on a Mark's Monthly Message, which is a video presentation that eClub Pro members get in the middle of each month. And a recent one had the title Managing Expectations. And I think this is a, a really interesting topic when we talk about how we as acts now self-promote. Because I think there's a danger, if we're not careful, that we get so wrapped up in trying to tell everybody who is out there and anybody who cares to go to our website how wonderful we are and what we can do, that there, there is a danger that you overstate what your abilities are or what you can deliver so that when we actually turn up and do what we have we think we promised to do it turns out that the booker may be a little disappointed because the image they got from what you said what your website showed actually left a different impression than the one that reality actually showed when you turned up i mean for instance a simple example of this would be photographs Um, You know we've all had photographs taken and we use them on our website and sometimes it's easy to leave a photograph there that actually shows you from 10 years ago well if you're at a particular point in your life or you're fortunate enough that your looks basically haven't changed very much in in the 10 years since the photograph were taken then that's fine. But you may be at a period of your life where your your looks have changed. Maybe you've lost a lot of hair, or you've turned very grey in that period. And there's a there's an expectation when the booker sees a picture of you, and they think, oh, this guy looks like he's the sort of person who would uh, mix in well with our the, our guests and with the demographic of the age group that we're uh, that we're inviting to the party. And then when you turn up, they think, oh oh crikey, who's this? you know they feel like somebody else has turned up because the person who turns up looks a lot older than the picture had led them to believe you were going to be and it's it's the same with uh, for instance video i think performance video on a website is fantastic but if you use either a picture or video that shows you doing a dramatic let's say for example an illusion you're using this picture or this video because it shows you doing a big illusion that that is perhaps very um interesting, exciting, engaging, makes people want to book you. If when you then go to do the booking, they are going to expect to see this type of magic and you turn up and you do some lightweight sort of stand up front of curtain stuff, instead of the illusions they kind of expected, then they say, well, hang on a minute. that's not what I thought he was going to do at all. And they may be disappointed. And the fact that your act was great, may not just be quite enough they've still the booker may still be left with this frustrated expectation because we have not in the publicity managed the expectation and i think this is this is something that it's really worth considering try and stand back and look at your publicity and say to yourself if i was a booker and i was reading this or watching this or taking in this information reading these quotes about how wonderful I am when I then go and perform am I delivering what those comments suggest I can deliver if you're not sure then get a close friend to give you some honest truths because it may be that the hyperbole that you've been using to try and big yourself up and we all do it we all say we're we're great of course you're not going to say well I'm I'm distinctly average You're not going to say that unless it's a joke. So um, you're going to build yourself up. But there are are limits, surely. And if you don't know what those limits are, it could well be that without you realising it, you are actually building up an expectation in the person who's booked you that you are never, ever going to match. And as a result, as I say, no matter how good your act is, chances are they will, at least to some extent anyway, be disappointed with you. And that's a huge, huge shame. Well, there we are. That's the December podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of what I hope for you, is, if you're a performer, is a busy schedule. Have a really great uh, festive season, and I will look forward to being back here with you in the new year. Bye for now.